Hello and welcome to the Build with Clay podcast. I am your host, Clay Davis. This podcast is designed to introduce you to people from across the world who have one thing in common. They want to grow in their life and inspire others. You'll get a front row seat to hear about how they define their mindset and their purpose. We'll unearth their habits, their failures, and learnings throughout their journey. And this will allow you to take those habits, those failures, and those learnings and apply them to your personal growth journey, no matter where you're trying to build yourself and grow. This podcast is designed for you, so thank you for being here. Prepare to meet interesting people, hear fun stories, learn something new, and plan to leave inspired. On this episode, we build with Marvin Gelsey. Marv is a community leader through and through, literally. That is his title at Lululemon. Marv loves Atlanta. Marv loves flag football. Marv loves to bring people together. Our conversation begins by exploring his incredible journey from a tough upbringing to now living without fear. He defines what it is to be a real man and how we shouldn't play the comparative games. We weave through other topics, all of which have played a role in who Marv is as a person. An incredible one at that. One note, you may experience a little background noise in this one as Marv sought out the quietest spot he could to drop some wisdom for us. Enjoy getting to know Marv and plan to be inspired. Super excited to have Marvin Gelsey on the pod. Marv, welcome, man. Hey, Clay. Thanks for having me. Excited to have you. And uh, Marv tried to find some quiet for us back in the in a storeroom back in his office. So uh, appreciate you, you going through those links. So we're going to get to know you like we do a lot of our guests here on the Build with Clay podcast. So I'm going to start off easy. Who is the best flag football quarterback you've ever played with? Oh, man, you did this on purpose. <laughs> Whatever do you mean? <laughs> um, he goes by the name of Curtis Large, a good friend of both of ours. He is the best I've ever played with. If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it that millions of people would see, what would it say and why? Yeah, it comes from a Bon Iver song. The exact words are, please don't live in fear. Um, and it is one that resonates deeply with me. Uh, we may end up getting into it, but I grew up in like Brooklyn inner city raised by an immigrant uh, family. And so much of navigating that city was always being careful. I had one obligation. It was always to make it home safely, which also ends up nerfing a little bit of exploration or adventure. Um, and if I could redo my childhood again, I probably would have taken a little bit more risk. I try to take as much risk as I can in my adulthood now. Yeah, I want to definitely get into that. Would you rather have 10 foot long arms or 10 foot long legs? I think legs because they'd be more manageable, maybe a little bit more achy, but I, my arms would just be dangling all over the place. <laughs> That's true, but you would also be, I mean, add your torso and your head and everything in. I mean, you'd be like, what, uh, 14 feet tall, something like that? Yeah, and then I'd be the highest paid player in the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> what team would you want to play for? I'm going to say the Atlanta Hawks. They need some help. They do need a At the help. five position, particularly. <laughs> That's true. All right, so Marv, I ask every guest this, these two questions. How would you define a growth mindset? Uh, a growth mindset for me is one that is rooted in a bit of um, 
introspection or investigation. It's a mindset that is more about the day-to-day, the journey, rather than the, the destination, and then constantly looking inward and deciding and reevaluating, auditing. Am I doing the things that are in line with the way that I actually want to live, the way that the world perceives how I want to live, the way that I communicate to people how I want to live? And a growth mindset is one that is willing to sit back, take a look, make sure you're on the right track, and keep moving forward. And how would you define your purpose or your why in your life? Yeah, my why is um, to bring people together, to help people find community, to find their tribe. Um, I like to tell people that if I need to be a number one or a captain, I'm good. I'm very good. Um, When it comes to being a number two, I'm probably the GOAT. And that's because uh, I'm lit up when I'm watching other people succeed. Your LinkedIn profile, I loved this. It says education and professional backgrounds are cool. This is what you have on your profile. But have you ever given a damn about others? Don't let this place be the tool that you use to measure your success. Can you expand on that? Yeah. um, Wow. (laughs) I've never had anyone read that back to me. I am pretty big on trying to dismantle the ideas that some people have in their mind about how they should do things but the right way. Um, I think that a lot of my successes have come from not doing that, some by choice, some by circumstance. There's a bit of, in my gender, I guess I'm going to say gender because I'm not an old person, but my peers that I grew up around have always played this um, comparative game and they've measured themselves based on how other people are doing and I don't love that. I don't love that for what that does for yourself. I don't love for that for how it makes you show up for your community. Um, so yeah, uh, look differently. Look at other places for how you want to grade yourself. Um, and it doesn't need to be institutionalized things like where you went to school, who you work for, how much money you make, what your LinkedIn looks like, how many people follow you, how many people you follow, any of that kind of stuff. Someone who's caught in that cycle, how do you begin to coach them and work with them on not measuring themselves? I think getting clear is the first step of like what actually matters. I think it's easy to spit out because we've rehearsed so many times, like why do you do the thing you do or what's important to you? But if you ask somebody to actually sit and like continue to ask why until you reach the core, I think you'll find that a lot of people are finding that they're not actually doing the thing that lights them up or they're not doing it for the reasons that light them up. Um, So I think, the first coaching is like get clear on why, get clear on what you what actually makes you happy, who makes you happy. If the answer is if you had zero bills, that money would mean nothing. Then, like, let's talk about that rather than like how can I just make more money? Because for anybody who's ever experienced like moving up the corporate ladder or seeing consistent increases in their salary, most people don't really see like a net large gain in their savings or in the stuff at the end of the year, they just acquire more things to spend. They improve their quality of life. So they just spend differently. So they're kind of stuck, right? Chasing this maybe um, finish line of sorts. And uh, I think if you ask people, like, what are the things that actually make you happy? If you had no bills, then the money would do nothing. So then who would you actually spend your time with? Or what would you spend your time doing? Um, and I would coach people to like answer that question day to day to get out of what they're stuck in. Yeah, we see it all the time. The goalposts keep moving. They just 
yeah, you make $50,000. That's great. You make a hundred thousand and just, that means you spend $50,000 more. Right. (laughs) And there's a stat out there. I don't remember the exact number, but I think it's something like once you hit, is it 75 K? Yeah. Then there's basically, that's the peak. What is it? The peak happiness or maybe not peak happiness, but that is money. You can't use money as an excuse to get more happy after that. Right. Right. There's like a substantial difference between making like 60 and 80, but like not from making 75 and 80 or 75 and 90 or 75 and 100. Uh, yeah. You're kind of stuck until you reach like 300K. And then we're talking about like tax issues. <laughs> you talked about a personal circumstances that have come up in your life where you've worked on maybe dismantling this belief that you know, maybe you're not worthy or maybe you need to be doing something different with your life. Like where has that manifested itself in your life? Mm. It probably starts back from, I'm a first generation American, first person in my family to graduate from like a uh, university in the United States. And as a child of immigrant parents, my models are two human beings who did everything around working and providing um, and surviving and very traditional like if you work hard enough you can achieve this thing and and by work hard enough it was very traditional clock in you clock out you show up you do good work you get paid you come home you take care of your family and in that i start to acquire a lot of debt to my parents uh, like uh, emotional debt to my parents because i'd watch them work their tails off just to get me to have the things that i needed to survive and make it and have a good education and never really see the worst of it. In my reflection, if I had to wager, my parents probably had to sacrifice pretty basic needs like meals just to make sure that I didn't have to. Because of that, I thought that I needed to go to school in the right way, go to college in the right way, pursue the kinds of careers that would make them the most proud, like something like going to business school, going to law school. The image of, that I had of myself as early as eight years old was a grown up in a suit carrying a briefcase with a family and a big house. And if you asked me to draw a picture of my future as a child, that's what I would have drawn for you. So then I went to college and I studied economics and business management. And then post-grad, I pursued law school for a while. And I just did all of these things that I realized were never really to make myself happy. Economics is not a fun major. (laughs) I mean, there are a couple of classes where you get to sit in a room with other people and talk about theory and like, live in the clouds a little bit and that could be fun but I would have much rather had fun doing exercise science in my free time in college I helped run our intramural program I would have loved to do that and offer sport and community to youth at an earlier point in my life and not wait until I got to live my 30s so yeah it's kind of like where that is rooted in is like in my own personal circumstances feeling like I had to do things a particular way because of what my models were because of where I came from um, and not really having that adventure or having any other models to tell me, you could have a really great career in sport. You could have a really good career in exercise. You could have a really good career in art and creativity. Um, I had to like see that differently later in my life. And I just wish I could shake young Marvin and that could still make my parents proud. Obviously, it sounds like your parents had a huge impact and influence on the early part of your life. So who else has influenced you the most in your life? Yes, credit to both my parents, like double down on the credit to my mother. Growing up, my dad was my best friend. And then it was like a 
weird shift that happened. Uh, and my mother and I didn't get along growing up. And then as an adult, I think I just probably gained some perspective. And she ends up being like my role model and my best friend and my North Star and probably my other why. So I just want to shout her out in particular. Uh, what changed? That, what changed? A lot of it was me just really understanding what she was going through and what she had to do for me to have what I have. Um, and then when you're young, uh, you just it's hard to grasp and understand. You kind of take things for granted. You take people for granted. I just kind of grew into a version of myself that just really appreciated it. I think on the flip side, she actually also grew and like shortened the generational gap between the two of us and took the time and made the effort to understand my experience um, at my age and kind of met me where I was at and like brought me along on that journey. So big shout out to my mom because EQ wise, like it matches her hustle, which if you know my mom, her hustle is top notch. Wow. If you can combine high EQ with high hustle, you've got a fantastic human being right there. She's an absolute beast. What does she do now? Now she actually works for the state of Florida. Um, she is a nurse and she's part of a program um, that is like, like surprisingly and powerfully being piloted and funded through the state of Florida that helps support new moms. So we don't talk about this a lot, but um, first time mothers or immigrant mothers they don't actually understand all of the resources that one their state government has for them to like have good and healthy um, pregnancies um, they also just if they're from another country don't understand like generally navigating doctor's appointments and getting formula and what a shop for baby needs so what my mother does is she'll get a um, cohort or a roster of new moms each year and she kind of like guides them through the journey from like month three through birth through the first year and she makes sure that um, everything that the state of florida provides for mothers they have access to all the way down to if they don't have a car she'll like book their uber so they can get to their doctor's appointments so making sure they are getting the grants to get car seats and baby clothes and formula in the first year um, and because my mother is bilingual she can also meet these people where they're at and make them feel kind of at home. So she can do that virtually and touch a lot of lives throughout the state. And then she also does house visits and just make sure like the homes are just ready for a baby that's on the way. Uh, what um, a special thing she does. That's amazing. Yeah. And to put that into perspective, when she got to the U.S., like I think one of her first jobs was she was cutting the chicken at Church's Chicken. And then, I mean, she went, she took herself through beauty school, through real estate school, um, started her own salon um she went corporate for paul mitchell for a little while I mean, she did everything to like kind of get herself to where she's at now she has a house near the water in west palm beach and um does this incredible job for the state of florida wow that's incredible marvin I'm, i appreciate you sharing that i want to go back to what you said earlier about on your billboard you're gonna you're gonna say please don't live in fear and sounds like that early in childhood you lived in fear why? Um, a lot of it was not knowing. There's a, uh, particularly in the 90s and probably early 2000s, there was a bit of this like tension that you kind of build a callus and endurance for, for like growing up in Brooklyn, New York, where you just like hear things like sirens, you hear yelling and loud voices only because you're so close to the people around you. So like families or like sometimes loud voices aren't always aggressive or bad voices. They're just like loud. It could be overstimulating for a young kid on top of you just kind of visually in front of your face, see things like 
pickpocketing and bullying and all these kinds of things. And I didn't grow up to be taught to have like this tough presence about myself. So I always felt like maybe I would be a target if I put myself in places that um, I couldn't necessarily defend myself. So like, I think I was just generally living in this fear that you kind of, you either have that fear or you do grow that callous and that, that toughness or that maybe anger that shows up as toughness and you fight back. In, in my youth, I chose to generally hide and part of it was because it's overstimulating. That's just one. And then two, really feeling that obligation of like, I just got to make it home safe every day. And I've done that job for that day. That had to be a tough childhood to be a part of not only being the son of immigrant parents who are trying to make it and probably working, you know, hustling and everything you're trying to go through school and adolescence, but also living in a bit of fear. As difficult as those words are like to say and to hear back, I can't not acknowledge like that the experience would have been so much worse if it wasn't specifically for the parents that I had and the roles that they played and like making sure that despite my fears in reality I was safe and I did have a chance so I mean I just always want to acknowledge the, the world and the space that they held and created for me despite all of these like exterior things that they could not control just working in a system that usually like is not great to families coming into the U.S. for the first time or even families that just don't have access to moving their generations along. Yeah, I think it's incredible. I mean, that's one of the best things that a, I think human beings can do, or there's certain human beings that can do this really well, is truly trying to control the things that they control and not trying to control the things that they can't control. And that's an incredible, incredibly hard thing to do because we like to complain, try to figure out, try to control the things that are not controllable. I mean, even the weather. We can't control the weather. <laughs> you know, but we talk about it all the time and we talk about how we don't like it or we love it or but it's i know it's a very basic thing but there's so many things in our life that are not controllable so to have the wherewithal to recognize it sounds like your parents were extremely good at recognizing what they could control and then setting up an environment for you to be as successful as possible yeah they i don't know how they acquired this skill probably a survivor's mindset, but not only were they in tune to what they could control, they had the ability to expand just a bit outside of that um, and see the things that maybe they couldn't have right now, um, but they could control the path to getting there, which is like a leveled up uh, skill set in itself. Yeah. So the your mindset shifted at some point because you talked about when you were eight that you envisioned yourself wearing a suit and having a family and doing the classic corporate America, American dream, however you want to frame that. When did that mindset shift and what is the mindset now? Um, formally, it shifted in college um, when I met a bunch of friends that were really interested in um, playing poker. Um, I'm not sure if you remember the big poker boom of like 2003. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. World series of poker on ESPN and everything. We, yeah. uh, our friends, Curtis included, we played plenty of poker in college. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was that, um, one, it kind of like became a passion point. Um, like I was a fine poker player, never was going to like actually pursue it as a full-time career, but it did make me like 
cut out things, including classes for a while and extend the amount of time it took me to graduate to like focus on that a little bit more. Um, it also introduced me to new people from new communities and new backgrounds and create friendships that looked different than the friendships that I had from just like being in class or playing some sports or whatever that was. So I think the exposure to a different way of lifestyle, because I was playing around a lot of really great poker players at the time who were saying, I'm never con come back to school. I am going to make a career out of this. Um, and just seeing that like there were ways to be happy outside of like the formal education that I was pursuing at the time. That's probably when that shift started. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting because that really ties into your why because you talked about bringing people together, finding your tribe, finding your community. And it sounds like that shift happened when you found that community of different people but had a similar passion at the time of yours. Yeah, and particularly finding them during a time that is so institutional like college, but finding them outside of the classroom, outside of school, not really affiliated to the university. Um, was really important because I just got to like spend some of my day inside of the formal classroom and then spend a lot of my day outside in like this renegade, let's just go make some cash and play 16 hours straight and maybe take a semester off of school, maybe in my case, three semesters off from school and uh, just kind of really dive in and learn some new skills and uh, yeah, find a different way of navigating uh, my own personal life. There was a moment where I was contemplating taking a semester off to go play poker and I was not, I was a fine poker player. It wasn't, I wasn't insanely good, but there was talk amongst me and a couple of friends that we would go do that. It never came to fruition, but I can certainly empathize with the thoughts that you had going on in your brain. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I had a couple of buddies. I mean, they're still playing. Um, and the reason why the catalyst to like making sure that I like went back to school and finished was there just came a day where it just became illegal to play online poker in the United States. Uh, the DOJ shut it down and um, just like a lot of other kids in the U.S., I just went back to school and followed the formal process. So even though you went back into this formal process, it seems like you're not doing what your eight-year-old self thought you would be doing. Oh, not even a little bit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, yeah. Uh, and there's like good and bad things for that. Um, good and bad reasons for that rather. Um, the good reasons are I've chased small business. I've chased entrepreneurship and I've chased those things because they are more in line to my why of bringing to the other community, having creative control, being able to hire, manage and lead, being able to create my own life. That's the good reason. When I think about some of the things that I don't have right now, um, as far as like the family and all that kind of stuff, there's just like more introspection that I've had over the last couple of years of like investigating like my own masculinity and how it's shown up in previous relationships and the impact that pre previous relationships have had on me. And once I started that investigation, once I came to terms with the roles that I played in relationships that maybe didn't work out well, um, it created a space for me to be more help, happy and more healthy and actually turn the dream of having a family into a thing that's actually real and accessible and attainable and have a road back to get there. This is the second time you've brought up introspection. You talked about how having a growth mindset that it's rooted in 
you know, inspiration and introspection and all of that. So are you comfortable expanding on what you just referenced? I can start with um, just like a lot of people in 2020, the world just got a little bit more quiet. And on the tail end of that year, I got out of a relationship that I was in for a couple of years, one that I thought was had a really, really good shot at going the distance. Um, and it just didn't for a lot of reasons that I play a role in and my former partner played a role in. Role in. And then I kind of just sat with myself and said, Marvin, you're a pretty good guy, I think, for the most part. Uh, <laughs> there's got to be a reason why it's not working out. I think you need to sit down and like look inward and really look inward this time and figure out where your gaps are and how you show up as a partner to people. So I did that. I looked to literature. Um, I looked to therapy. I looked to podcasts. I looked to women in my life to like help me understand one, the woman's experience, um, two, maybe acknowledge all of my childhood, three, understand like what models I had as a man in heterosexual relationships um, growing up, like all of it, sit with it, investigate it, um, challenge it. Uh, and what came out of that was a brand new perspective on how to approach relationships, um, new skills and how to interact with women in particular, how to interact with men, not necessarily romantically, but like, am I comfortable checking one of my guy friends when they're inappropriate? So yeah, that was like a lot of my 2020 and 2021. It's still work that I'm still doing today. I'll never actually get there. There's no, I am officially an enlightened man. Like that, that moment will never come. But I am often always asking, am I the man that I am proud of? Am I the man that my mom would be proud of? Am I the man that a woman would be proud to say that she is with? For others that want to do that exploration, what literature did you reference or would you re reference? Yeah, um, I will credit my former partner with giving me the book called um, For the Love of Men. It's by Liz Plank. Um, she is pretty big on social, great author. She does a great newsletter, email newsletter. Um, she's often on like CSNBC and uh, all these other shows when conversations around masculinity and feminism are uh, in the political climate. Um, so she's well-versed. Um, I respect her perspective a lot. And the second book um, that I would reference is a book called Man Enough by Justin Baldini. Justin Baldini is a former actor. Um, I think he's still an actor by trade, but now he's really deep into this world. A work about getting men to explore their masculinity in this very um, non-traditional way, but in understanding that there's this concept of being a real man and a good man. And when I say that out loud, people hear good men and they think soft and hold space and gentle, responsible. When I hear when they hear real man, they think tough, rugged, strong. And there's no reason why a man can't be both of those things at the same time. So it gives men, this book is designed to give men the space to be in touch with both sides of themselves and say, yes, I am man enough, even when I am in choice to be softer, gentler, kinder, kinder to the people around me. Great concept. And I appreciate the recommendations. I'm sure there's some listeners out there that their ears perked up when they hear you're, you're exploring how to interact with women. So what are like a couple of pieces of advice, tidbits, whatever comes to mind as you've done this introspection that 
maybe folks could jumpstart their journey with, with maybe some pieces of advice from you. I'm going to modernize it, I think, uh, and go through like my own experience. If you are living in this time and you're doing the dating app thing, lean in honesty, like be honest about who you are and the person that you actually are, because you're going to eventually have to meet these people. Uh, so be real, um, be kind, um, be intentional. Um, if you don't have the capacity to do that, then delete the apps is probably my first one. The second is to um, think about your perspective on how your actual real in real life interactions are with the person you're interested in. And I'm probably speaking mostly to heterosexual men in this instance. Um, another really good reference or resource is a book called um, Girls and Sex, where it talks about being okay with adopting more queer tendencies and how you um, engage with women. And what I mean by that is when you're on that first date, or when things are maybe getting intimate, maybe stay away from yes or no questions. And that is so loaded because sometimes, and the thing that I am guilty of, or I'd say guilty of, the thing that I used to do um, is I would say, hey, can I kiss you? Or hey, can we do this thing? Or can we be romantic in this way? And while maybe I thought I was doing the right thing by asking for permission and getting consent, um, there's a whole other aspect of, am I acknowledging what it's like for somebody to say no in that instance and do they feel safe enough to say no? Like, why would they answer yes and why would they answer no in that moment? And maybe more ha ask questions that are open-ended, like, how would you like this evening to go? Um, and giving them the space to like give another, another option that's not so binary in that moment. So I think just challenging everything that you're generally doing now that you think is good and okay and just asking maybe somebody that you're not romantically involved with in the moment, when this happens and when you experience it, like what's your feedback? And then actually taking that feedback and then putting it back into your real life. The open versus closed questions can go well beyond dating. I think we can do a whole lot better in asking open-ended questions. It brings curiosity into play, which I think is a wonderful thing and allows for, like you said, non-binary answers of just yes or no. You ask an open question and an open question typically starts with what or how, and starting with those can bring you a lot of insight, a lot of feedback, a lot of understanding of others prior to, you know, making assumptions. And then you bring in if in the dating world, I mean, I can totally see how that creates a safer space for honesty. Yeah. It also gives you the power to design the way the next few moments after that are going to go. And one of my favorite design principles is asking the question, how might we, when you're trying to solve a problem and how each of those words in that phrase means something. The how is again, like you just mentioned, is that introductory to that? We're going to be a bit open-ended here. Uh, the might is we're going to be okay with maybe getting it wrong, but we're going to try things. There's definitely an answer out there and we're going to figure it out, but it may take some trial and error. And the we is collaborative, right? It's not going to be, I'm making a decision and you are, we're going to do this together. So to your point, I love how that word, how can create this open-ended space for you to design what you thought you knew versus what could actually happen. It's going to be the title of this podcast. Probably how might we? <laughs> Marvin. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I, I think that's fantastic, Marv. I, I think that's so useful and sounds like you use it in your everyday life. 
So in the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Saying no is the one that jumps out immediately. Um, saying no in two different aspects. Saying no when it's not a hell yeah. Um, and not just hanging on too much. Um, and then saying no when you've tried something, you've really given it your damnedest, and it's just like not getting you to where you want to get to. And saying no doesn't necessarily mean that you've quit. You just understand that your time and intention is better used somewhere else. And how would you say that's improved your life? In both cases, it creates more space for the hell yeses, um, for adventure, for exploration, for new new people um, that just organically show up that don't necessarily need anything. Yeah, it just creates more space. I listened to a previous pro- uh, podcast you had, and you talked about building in the margin. And I find myself actively trying to build in more margin day to day. Yeah, and saying no is hard, but it, it certainly becomes more and more of a superpower because there's so many options in the world. There's so many things we can do, and there's so much goodness. But you're right. If it's, I love the if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. I'm curious. So I had a I had someone reach out to me a couple of weeks ago just to pick my brain. They said they saw some quote that basically said, "In your 20s, you say yes to everything, and then you're in your like mid 30s, you start saying no to everything or almost everything." And the reason behind it is you don't really know what you want, what you want to be. So just to say yes and explore and do all these things to try, and then you start saying no. How do you feel about that? I agree. Definitely with the first part. I think the 20, your 20s are a time for you to try as much as you can because I believe that we have so much time. And I mean, at the same time, I equally believe that life isn't long enough and you got to make the most of it. But I think in your 20s, you still should barring any like terrible accidents, you should still have a lot of time on the back end to like maybe recover from like any errors or anything like that. So, I mean, within reason, I think in your 20s, just say yes, try, really take the time because it will get harder, both like you're just going to get older and you'll get tired sooner and you'll recover. It'll take a lot longer to recover, you know? So like just get that in in your 20s. I wholeheartedly agree with that. And... I don't necessarily mean that means you have to stop doing that in your 30s if you, as long as you still have the endurance for it. It seems like that you really enjoy bringing out the best in others. You've mentioned it a number of times. How do you do that? How does it manifest itself? It starts at the same place every time and it starts with understanding what that person wants and what they need all the way down to when I have a new hire. Um, One of the first questions I ask them is, I'm going to give you four things to choose from and I need you to categorize them. I need you to rank them in levels of importance. I need you to rank your compensation package, um, your time away from work, your creative control, and, and an other. And if I can get pretty clear, and I also let them know that those four things can change at any point in time because life changes. And if I can get clear and they can stay in constant communication with me about like which one of those things are the most important for them, how they're the most served, then I can provide the resources that they need to be the best that they can to achieve that thing. And that's the same thing in sport. 
you know, I play on this travel flag football team and I need to know, like, are you traveling because you want to go see Hawaii? Are you traveling because you want to be better at your position? Are you traveling just because you want to win this championship? Because that answer will pretty much tell you how I'm going to, like, lead you as a captain of this team. Like, if you tell me you, you want to go win this trophy, then I'm going to hold you accountable to, like, being early and very present at every single practice. And, like, how are you training your body? How are you, like, studying the playbook? And if you tell me that you just want to go see Hawaii, then I'm not going to, like, hound you about how clean your routes are. But you, we're also going to clear, get clear that you're not going to have as many reps as somebody else. So as soon as I understand, like, what that person wants and needs, um, it helps me get clear on how I can best serve them. That's a pretty simple way to understand how others are motivated. Yeah, just asking. <laughs> it's amazing how simple that is. My next question was, was how can others improve at this? The, uh, the only way I think is like, once you've asked, what happens after that is sometimes what I've done is when I've coached um, maybe somebody in between me and like somebody that they're managing is that they'll ask that question in the beginning. They'll get clear. They'll design a system for their direct report to be successful. What they won't do is they won't check in and they won't make sure that both sides of um, the agreement are doing their part. So I think really the only way is just making sure that whatever form of communication you've created between the two parties remains open. It remains clear. It evolves. It gets a little bit more intelligent in how it's communicated. And you're right. It's easy to do the first part, the simple first part and understand, but then, and then even design a system around it. But then if you don't repeatedly check in, cause like you said, life changes, life, life comes at you fast. And if you don't ask, you probably don't know. And then now you're motivating them on the wrong thing. And if that's in your work, then, you know, that could create a poor environment for that person and they could seek to go elsewhere. Or... Yeah, I mean, it, sh it shows up in your personal life too. It's like a part of my like boy meets girl exploration that I was going through. Is like you have to just love people the way that they want to be loved, and also understand that, that way that people want to be loved can change, and they're entitled to that change. You can't just love people the way that you think that they want to be loved. You can't just love people in the ways that you are currently equipped to love. You may have to go out and learn new ways to love to serve that person. Hmm. Marv, we've hit like every topic. I love it. <laughs> yeah. we've, ta we've talked about immigrant parents. We've talked about healthcare. We've talked about masculinity. We've talked about leadership. We've talked about a whole host of things, man. Yeah, this is, Curtis will tell you, this is the way I like to uh, get down and talk, particularly when I'm talking to other men. <laughs> it's it's awesome. And I could dive into any of these things a whole lot deeper, but I want to be respectful of your time and I'm just grateful that you were just completely open, honest, vulnerable with the topics. And I imagine you'll be getting a note from me in the near future to have you back on and, and dive maybe deep into a topic that the listeners are, are eager to hear Marvin's thoughts on. I would absolutely love to. We've built with Marv today. Marv, thanks for being on. Thanks for having me. Hey, listener, it's Clay. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Build with Clay podcast. I encourage you to subscribe wherever you listen so you can discover all the episodes and hear from others about their growth journey. 
If you know me at all, you know that I love feedback. So please rate the episode and provide your comments so I can grow and be better for you and our guests. For more content, you can find Build With Clay on Instagram at buildwithclay and head to claydavis.substack.com where you can sign up for a bi-weekly newsletter sent directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're inspired to grow.